Welcome to another episode of Connect Detrimental. I am Dan Lush, joined by Landis Barber, all the way from North Carolina. How's it going, Landis? It's going great. It's sunny here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we're gearing up for another hockey series tomorrow against your New York Rangers. Ooh, ooh. Listen, speaking of, it's our first episode since our live event this past Friday where we watched the Rangers. Ah, scratch that. We willed the Rangers to a Game 6 win, and then they came back and won Game 7. So a lot, a lot of fun. Landis, the reason um, you're joining us, we would have loved to have had you there. You're one of our star contributors to uh, the website, ConnectDetrimental.com. I guess this is, a, I wanted to give you the platform. You, you know, posting articles early and often, you know, so I can tell that you're watching the space very closely. So, you know, we, we had a certain amount of uh, special custom shirts made up of Conduct Detrimental podcast shirts. So we wanted to ship you one. And I'm like, you know what? Let me hook Landis up a little bit further. You know, he did bench points. He killed it over there. And now I figured we'd bring in the show. So feel like you're not opposed. Is it okay that you and I, uh, Rangers fans and Canes fans, were talking this week? I think it's perfectly fine, perfectly safe. Uh, and it's before the series even starts. So it's all good here right now. It's 0-0 zero, zero for now. Wild weekend of Game 7s. It was a lot of fun. So we appreciate everyone that came. I tried to post a couple pictures. Wallet posted way too many pictures. It was certainly a lot of fun. So we had, I think at our, at our peak capacity at the Canuck Bar, shout out to the Canuck Bar in uh, Chelsea, New York. That's a fancy term for saying a, a fancy part of New York City. We had about 45, 50 people, contact people there at their peak. And it was so just people that I had not messaged with in any way, shape or form just kind of showed up. You know, then I would kind of give people a little bit of a talking to them. Like, hey, like you diehard of the podcast, you're asking me how you can contribute. Like, I don't know. I mean, like, did we see, see names like Landis, you know, writing articles? So I wanted to bring you on the show just, you know, maybe for the listeners that are like, how can I get involved? Like, I'd love to be contributing to sports in some way, shape or form. Landis, you and I, we, we spoke on the phone maybe like three weeks ago. And I just right. said, I kept seeing this name, Landis Barber, publishing articles. And I'm like, I don't know who Landis is. But I got to speak to Landis. I got to learn a little bit about him. So, you know, Landis, you're, you're two years out of school. You're practicing attorney in North Carolina. Is that right? That's correct. And what type of field of law are you in? So we do uh, construction and business law mainly, and then we dabble in the sports law field by providing some outside legal advice to local universities here in the Triangle area. And then I'm also on the ethics committee for USA Skateboarding as well. So big Whoa. supporter of that organization and uh, supporting them in GB as we gear up for the next Olympics. Part of our show today, in addition to, you know, like a normal normal topics. This is the time of year when everyone's graduating, right? Left and right. And, Correct. you know, the reason that I wanted to take part in Conduct Detrimental is not just because I like talking about sports law. I figured it would help move my career in a sports law sphere, meeting people, showing people that I was very educated in all these various random topics. And Landis, I see a lot of the same in you. I see a lot of the same in a lot of our listeners, obviously a lot of our contributors are actually right. But I can speak firsthand. And Landis, it sounds like you're the same way. Like, I've, you know, made a lot of business contacts. People have offered to send me cases through, you know, different stuff I've written, different stuff I've tweet tweeted about, or, you know, people reach out, they're looking for experts in a particular field. So if you're listening to this and you say, wow, like I'm a normal practicing lawyer and I don't do anything related to sports law, but it would be cool to do that. The way you get your start is by kind of showing that you're educated in a particular field that people need help with. So this episode, which I wanted to, and people have noticed this, I'm trying to make a, a conscious effort to pay attention to the college sports space, which I, I feel like is a, you know, Landis, there's that like, uh, there's that meme that goes around online. That's like, uh, you know, there's like a fire everywhere and there's a dog sipping a cup of coffee. Like this is fine. I have no idea where that's from. I use it all the time, but like college sports is on fire. 
And they're looking for attorneys. They're looking for smart people to help with the space. Mark Emmert is quite literally stepping down, the president of the NCA. They're looking for new leadership. They're looking for new voices. They're looking for new attorneys. So, you know, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about NIL and Transfer Portal, which we're going to do today. But we wanted to bring on two people here that, in addition to those two topics, know a lot about mental health, two former athletes at the Division One level. That's Maddie Solomon, who, um, Landis, as, you'll, as you know, spoke at the Sports Lawyers Association conference this past weekend, and Steve Simmons, who runs a company called NIL Partners, who, in addition to talking about, you know, the issues of financial issues, I think it's important to talk about mental health, especially, as, you know, we'll get into, it's been a lot of tragic events, topic that maybe I'm not so comfortable talking about, but that's why we bring on, on the experts. So, you know, why not bring on two former Division One athletes who can speak to the pressures of being an athlete firsthand? And then, Landis, we talk about NIL, being able to transfer, looking at other schools. All of a sudden, athletes are kind of like hit with 100 different angles of pressures. Listen, if you're going to solve college sports, I think mental health has got to be right up there. So people have turned to us at Conduct Detrimental over the years to really explain what topics they should be paying attention to. College sports, yes, we've told you, but I think mental health has certainly been underserved. Landis, I know um, you know you joined us for our conversation with at least one of our guests, but what are your thoughts on the college sports space? The college sports right now is wide open, and that's why for younger attorneys or law students looking to write, this is the area to write in because there's so much thoughts you can offer in this space, and it's just constantly changing. So there's constantly new material to write about. I think. Like last week, you want to talk about new NIL guidance was offered from the NCAA. And then this week, all of a sudden, California's got a new bill rolling through on student compensation and different things like that. Save so your thoughts it, on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bother you on that at the end. But there's like literally like people, you know, I, I watch all these different documentary shows. It's like, Landis, have you watched uh, the WeWork show? It's called We Crashed on Apple TV. So I'm like, not. It's a good show. I watched a couple of these. There's the uh, the Uber show, which just came out. The WeWork show. My wife and I are in the middle of the, it's called The Dropout. It's the story of Theranos. It's like, you know, when people get into these space, they, they see an issue early on and they diagnose it. And then, you know, maybe they make some money after it, but like they can make a name for themselves in an industry if they kind of catch on to something early. Right now in college sports, they're literally writing new laws that have never existed in the history of time. They're writing the laws that are going to underlie college sports for the next century. So this is my little signal to, to a lot of our listeners. And I spoke to, and, you know, I got into it with Maddie a little bit, but I spoke to a lot of you, you know, at the event, a lot of people came up and they said, I don't have a job. I love what you do. I'd love to be involved in sports law somehow. How do I do it? So 10 years ago, sports betting was probably the, the way to do it. When PAPS had passed 10 years ago, they needed people because sports, legal sports betting never existed. So sure. they needed yeah. people in that space. This is me telling you, right? This is me telling all the listeners. If you want to get into, into sports law, you don't have to be the biggest fan of, of college sports, but if sports are in your blood, you'll learn to love college sports. It's, it's a way of life in certain parts of our country. Like, I'm, I'm being very clear that if you want to get into this field and you're unemployed as of today, I was unemployed, which Landis, I, I think you heard that part of the conversation. I was unemployed for six months post-graduation. I was trying to figure it out, trying to get a job in sports. I couldn't figure it out. So I had to take a traditional route for like six or seven years. You know, right now there are people, they're hiring right out of school. And I know a couple of them, a couple of them listen to the show and they know who I'm talking about. NIL agents, compliance agents, and now there's people that need lobbying help, right? There's so much work being needed from lawyers on the college sports day. So listen, you guys trust us. I'm telling you, if you want to work in sports law and you are trying to, you're ending school right now, you're studying for the bar as we speak. This is your little break in, study for, in studying. I'm telling you, college sports, they're looking for smart people. They're looking for new voices. So 
you know, I figured we'd do our, a service to our, our guests and, and talk about it this week. I'll say on that point as well, if you start looking into these issues that's going on in college sports, it can snowball you into other issues in professional sports. Let's take, for instance, right now, the NCAA is facing some antitrust scrutiny. And that could lead you into antitrust law in other sports and professional leagues like that. So treating, starting to get working in this space could lead you down the road into other areas, teams, leagues, different things like that. So it's always encouraging just to get started. You know, I did mention, and I imagine this a good, good amount of you, the ones I spoke to on Friday while we were getting a little inebriated at our, uh, at our bar night. Actually, I should mention the bar night, which maybe not everybody believed me. The bar night, we said first drinks were going to be on Themis, but Themis had such a good time. We had Rich and Bob, uh, our, I guess they're our Themis reps, but two very big people know the names within Themis. They came out, partied with us, and they said they had so much fun. They had so many people who I think they were converted to Themis-ism. They picked up the full bar tab. Uh, yeah, Landis, you're laughing. No, it's true. They put, you know, all, all those drinks, everyone was getting those little red tickets I was handing out. I handed out a lot of red tickets. Themis paid for all of them. So big shout out to Themis. They are our first sponsor of the podcast. And, you know, listen, Themis, you guys are studying for the bar right now. Hopefully you're using Themis. If you are a 1L, 2L freaking out about bar prep, Themis is the way to go. Those, those people really know what's up. And they, they've identified that sports law is a space where a lot of young lawyers are going to be headed, I think, smartly. And so uh, they certainly invested us and empowered us. So shout out to Themis. Head to themisbar.com slash condetrimental so they know that uh, that we sent you. But if you're looking for a discount, just hit me up and uh, I'll reach out to the powers that be. I think I think we're a little bit more popular at Themis than we were a week ago. We had we had a good amount of drinks. And I think, again, converting some people there. But Landis, let's not bury the lead here. Two big guests today. We have Maddie Salomon, who, again, sports, spoke at Sports Lawyers Association uh, Conference, and Steve Simmons of NIL Partners. Landis, let's, let's start with Maddie first. I, I spoke with Maddie alone, um, and I know you joined us for our conversation with Steve. You heard Maddie speak at the Sports Lawyers Association Conference this past weekend. First, how was the conference? The conference was amazing. It was actually my first time at the conference, and there was around 600 attorneys there mm-hmm. representing all of the leagues, and including NWSL, different things like that. Uh, Commissioner Berman was there from the NWSL, got to hear her speak on a panel, and they had all sorts of panels over there, everything from sports wagering to NIL, and they had a general counsel's forum for the league which they counteracted with players association, executive directors and different things. So you got to hear both sides of the league and the players association as we've gone through all these different CBAs and different things over the, over the recent years. And so it was a great place to learn a great place to network. This industry is an industry where older attorneys are willing to help younger attorneys and willing to speak with them and give their experiences and I just had a great experience in Atlanta and looking forward to going back next year in Los Angeles. Might have to go next year. I feel like it's, I feel like it's time. I, th- I maybe should. I'll make a pack to you. Are you going next year in Los Angeles? I'll be in LA next year and I hope you'll be in LA as well. Man, if you're going to be there and I've heard so many good things, I, I think I have to, I think I have to go there. Listen, I have a, I have a 10 month old and a two and a half year old. So it's not always that easy to leave home, but I'll make it happen. They'll just, love LA. So. Well, they're not invited. I'm going by myself. Um, <laughs> I guess let's do this. So, so Maddie, I know Maddie spoke on a panel there. I don't want to bury the lead. Maddie is a fantastic speaker. She's an attorney. She's an athlete advocate. Again, she's a former Division One lacrosse player at Duke. Played at a really high level. She does consulting work now, but she's she's very intelligent on all things college sports. So, I wanted to have her on. Again, we went whichever way the conversation took us, and it happened to go to a topic that's near and dear to Maddie, which is mental mental health. In addition to 
NIL issues, which everyone's talking about. Again, we want to kind of put a spotlight on a mental health. So Maddie just happened to be the right person for that. So Landis, I think, uh, I think it's about time. Let us kick it over to my conversation with Maddie Salomon. Maddie, welcome to Conduct Detrimental. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So I've seen your name a bunch. It's the first time you and I are speaking, but you're all in and around the NIL space, the college sports space, former division one athlete. You have a very impressive resume. You know, and I wanted to, to get you on the show, not only because you're a listener of, of Conduct Detrimental, um, <laughs> because you have such a unique background. And I, and I constantly have this thought as a father of two young daughters, we need more female sports lawyers in the space. And I kept seeing your name around. I saw you spoke at the Sports Lawyers Association. And I'm like, you know what? We got to get Maddie on the show. So thank you for accepting the invite and joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for the invite. It's good to be here. So Maddie, I, I'm going to give you the floor. You know, you played Division One lacrosse at Duke. Then for some reason, you can explain it to our, our listeners. <laughs> you went to UNC Law School. That would seem to be a conflict of interest. But go ahead. Maybe, maybe you can tell us your humble beginnings in our, in our legal space. Well, I guess to go back, really, it was when I went to Duke that I went against the family because I have most of my mom's side of the family went to UNC, including law school. So I really let her down when I went to Duke. You know, she she basically spent a lot of time, I think, in the stands kind of secretly being also happy when UNC would score when I was on the field. <laughs> it's not really a joke. No, she supported me. But yeah, I think it it was a really cool thing to be a part of too, because it's, it's such an awesome rivalry and I feel really lucky to have been part of it for so long being in the, the Durham Chapel Hill area and, and getting to kind of watch lacrosse, see the basketball. It's just a, it's a very cool environment. So I fell in love with the campus when I was in high school and, you know, had been looking a bunch of different places. And, and I basically, I think you know, to go back, the recruiting process is so interesting in and of itself because people make decisions for all sorts of reasons. And especially in the world of NIL, I try to remind people of that sometimes because I basically eliminated the entire northern portion of the country at a point north of Pennsylvania because I'd gone on a few, you know, unofficial visits and it was too cold. And I couldn't envision myself playing outside in the winter there. The irony of that being that we would have four hour practices in the snow and sleet anyway in North Carolina. So it really didn't, it didn't matter that much, but certainly during the recruiting process, it was nice in February to be in short sleeves um, in the sun. So so I don't know if I'm saying anything slanderous, and um, but I, I grew up thinking that Duke was just the coolest school. I just, I always thought like, if I, you know, could pick like, you know, let's say I was like LeBron James in basketball and I could pick any school, I just think Duke, listen again, hopefully, you know. Your family I think that's because you're, you, yeah, you're, I, I you're a New Yorker, right? Yeah, I'm from yeah. New York. So I'm from Maryland. When I committed people at high school, I remember <laughs> they were like, but why would you go to Duke? Because nobody from Maryland likes Duke. You know, at the time, Maryland was still in the ACC. And in my in my heart, they're still there too. But that rivalry was very much there on the Maryland side. And so it was it was not well understood why, <laughs> why I would go to the dark side at that point either. Hey, beautiful campus. But listen, I don't want to get anybody uh, yelling at <laughs> Off camera, you were sworn to oath. We had our, our bailiff uh, have you raise your right hand during Coach K's <laughs> final game? Who are you rooting for? That's the real question here. I'm going to plead the fifth on that. I honestly know <laughs> this is really this is really true. This is what I told people before. I really truly wanted the best team to win. I wanted everybody to be safe. I didn't want any injuries, and and that's how I felt. And and. I know that's that a lot the, of people have a lot biggest, of issues with that. That's the I biggest cop-out answer I've ever heard. No, but it's an athlete answer, I think, because I think all athletes at the end of the day want it to be a good game, want it to be called fairly, and you don't want the game to be decided by the refs. 
And I really think in that game, UNC played much better. Duke, you know, didn't play terribly, unlike what <laughs> I think what Coach K said at the end of the game. I just think that UNC shot better. Their shots fell. And that's how we ended up with the score that we did. I think if 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 Duke's threes had been falling, it would have been a closer game and they might have won. But I could sit well with it because I think it was a it was a fair, good game. I think it was, but I think that was a cop-out answer. I feel like you <laughs> Let's go, um, you know, into our, our fun world of, of college sports. You know, like, I don't know, we're in a really a trying time. So I think, you know, if one day I'm elected president of the United States, I know I'm not smart enough to run the country, but like, you got to bring people around that might know the answer. You got to surround yourself with some smart people. So I think, and I would hope that's what's happening at the NCAA right now is uh, Mark Emmert stepping down. There is really, some people will say that it's great what's going on in, in college sports. It's a free market. It's capitalism. And we had a guest on the show last week who, who kind of made that pitch. I think capitalism is good, but you have to have some guidelines. You have to have some restraints. So I know I'm speaking to people, you know, in my circles about how to save college sport, what needs to be done. So Maddie, the, the floor is yours. Let's say hypothetically, oh, right, gosh. you're running for president of the NCA. What, what would be your platform? How do we save college sports? Well, the first thing I would do is invent a time machine and I would go back about 10 years to around the first time that, that NIL and these other issues were being looked at. Because I think that if the NCAA at any point in the last decade had made any moves to make the system seem more fair towards athletes, then we may not be in the position that we are now. We, I don't think we would be in the position where states were creating rules to basically force the NCAA's hand. I don't know that Alston would have turned out exactly the same way. I also think because basically what Alston decided was about education-related expenses that was sort of a no-brainer because in my mind, permissive legislation, which would have allowed those schools that could afford to provide unlimited education-related expenses, could have done so. And those who didn't, didn't have to. But you had this you know, mindset in the NCA of just kicking the can down the road, being unwilling to change things, and being very stuck in their ways and in... I think in the mindset of what they think college athletics is or what they, they want it to be. And the truth of the matter is that there are a lot of issues within college sports. I certainly don't, the compensation related issues are actually to me, not the most important things I've said for a very long time, mental health and safety of athletes. That is the most important issue within college sports that has gone unaddressed for the entirety of the NCAA's existence. And it's what it was created to do. So I think in terms of, you know, what would I do to save college sports? I think that you have to start making decisions that really look like you're making them with athletes in mind. I think the NCAA is very good at saying that that's what it's doing. And I think that there are some really amazing people within college sports who truly want to do that and truly believe what they're doing is exactly that. But the rules are created with money as a motivator or the ability to recruit as a motivator, not what is best for the athletes actually on campus? What's best for their mental health and safety? What would keep them being successful? What's going to help them in actually engage in their communities on, on campus and take advantage of the opportunity to go to college? So all of those things, I think it really starts with a mindset change more than anything. And I think that's a really difficult thing because there's, there's a culture that exists that has existed for a very long time around sports, around the mentality of an athlete, around how how much control coaches and administrators exert over athletes. And it, it all impacts the athlete's ability to function, to be successful, and even their mental health after they graduate. From what I'm hearing just in our, you know, in our random academic and legal circles, 
you know, when I'm saying to save college sports, the issues, I think, you know, they're, they're one and two in some shape or form, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, uh, we'll say the supercharged transfer portal and the combination of NIL. That doesn't mean that college sports are necessarily unhealthy. It's that the, I don't know, the, the money and the powers that be in terms of college sports are nervous. So that's not to say that the mental health problem isn't an issue, right? It's not to say that, you know, even like I remember, I don't know, two years ago at this point, the disparity between the women's basketball, you know, we'll say tournament, right, and the men's basketball, that also reared its head. But it, it's now like, you know, what at a certain point when the NCAA is not, when the money, right, at the top, right, we'll say that college football, when they when they say there's an issue, all of a sudden, like, you look around the landscape and then now there's all these three, four, five different issues popping up. So then the NCAA now can no longer kind of look look inward and say, well, everyone's happy. We're all making money left and right, you know, hand over fist. So let's not worry about these other problems. It's kicked the can. I think the the problems that you're hearing from the college football landscape really have exposed problems kind of everywhere across college sports. So Maddie, you, you pointed to, you know, the NCAA's, we'll say track record or lack thereof with respect to mental health. I know in news recently, we've, we've seen a number of athletes really tragically lost their lives, you know, in the college sports sphere. And maybe a lot of attention is being paid to the NIL landscape because that's everyone's problem. But mental health is really everyone's problem as well. So I know, you know, Maddie, you and I were speaking offline that, you know, you're entering a phase of your career where it's, it's more in terms of consulting and helping, you know, college with, with these types of issues. So I'll give you the floor, Maddie. What what do you think um, the NCAA has kind of, you know, not been doing? What, and what do you think that, that someone like yourself could kind of add to that space? I think it's, you know, in terms of what the NCAA can do, it's it starts with teaching coaches how to coach better and facilitating an environment that encourages athletes to be able to get the rest and recuperation that they need. I think that there's a mindset, I think, with coaches, especially that, you know, you have to take advantage of every second of the day that you have with your athletes and you have to use practice to work really hard and basically control everything an athlete does. And I think what happens in college as compared to high school and even younger is that as an athlete, you start to lose the balance that you may have had before. Uh, I think many of us in high school were very involved in many things, not just our single sport in college, but multiple sports and multiple organizations and had an ability to really express ourselves in ways other than being an athlete. And I think when you get to college, your entire self-worth is basically based on how you are performing on a team. You are so controlled that it can feel just really suffocating at times. And especially when there are other things that are going on that are, are not great. Things like historically the transfer portal have really gotten in the way of athletes making good decisions about where they can be the most successful and where they may have made a mistake when they were 15, 16 years old, determining where they should go to college like we can in the workforce. And I think when you realize that maybe you just are not a good fit on a team, there is this mindset that within athletics that you know, coaches have invested in you, that schools have invested in you. And instead of thinking, okay, well, let's figure out where can athletes actually be successful? Is that on our team or is that maybe somewhere else? And maybe we can set our egos aside a little bit and say, okay, yeah, we may have invested in this athlete, but they've also invested in themselves for their entire lives. And we don't try to stop coaches from transferring. We don't stop administrators from transferring and going to a place where they can really thrive. And I think that instead of instead of coaches and administrators being focused on what is best for the athletes and really listening to them when they're kind of expressing that and creating a space for athletes to be able to do that without 
fear of repercussion. They try to tell athletes what they think is best for them. And, you know, I, I go back to the transfer portal. I think there's a, a, a lot that has been made about the transfer portal and how, you know, we're, we're coming co- close to free agency and how it's such a problem and all this stuff. Well, the transfer portal has really kept a lot of athletes in a really bad situation. I think if you talk to athletes from a generation above this one, if you talk to athletes from my generation, a lot of people who were in situations where they probably should have transferred were afraid to. They're afraid that, you know, not only is it a confusing process, but that it might not be better on the other side, that the fact that you can't really talk to coaches before you transfer unlike every other job situation where you would kind of get a gauge of, do I have somewhere else to go before I put my name out there? You can't really do that. And even in this, this new, you know, the transfer portal era where what we've done and in combination with the fact that the NCAA got rid of its, or it now allows a one-time transfer exception for all athletes, whereas before it did not, where you can transfer one time and not be penalized with a year in residence. At the same time, what happens when an athlete enters a transfer portal is that a coach can immediately revoke the scholarship effective at the end of that term. And, you know, and it doesn't matter if the athlete stays, they can still do that. And at that point, they've really stuck their neck out there versus a situation where you don't have to declare that you're going to transfer until you really figure out where you're going to go. So if you apply that to a situation where an athlete might be in a really bad situation with a, with a coach, with teammates, just really unhappy, you potentially make that situation a lot worse because then the athlete is sort of out of themselves as saying, well, now I want to leave. And it exposes them to a lot worse treatment potentially. So that's, you know, one of the ways that this really negatively impacts athletes. I think when you talk about the transfer portal too, I think many athletes have have talked about this for a while, that if you really opened up transferring as an option more, you would start to identify where there are bad coaches and bad programs because you would see athletes leaving in droves. And I think you see that at at certain programs now. Uh, And I think that's something that really should be paid attention to. I think that senior exit interviews should be taken a lot more seriously, that administrators should be really listening to the experiences of athletes. And frankly, there's no reporting structure where anybody else has access to this information. So it's all kept very much in-house. Athletes don't have an independent person on campus that they can really talk to about issues and, and even about whether they should be thinking about transferring or whether behavior that they've been exposed to is inappropriate. And so they can sometimes turn to people that they trust on campus but those people on campus are ultimately beholden to the school and have conflicts of interest themselves. And even the really well-intended ones can't often help or risk being fired for sticking up for athletes. So you're kind of in this environment where often coaches are defended, other people are defended, and the athletes are kind of left alone, combined with the fact that a lot of athletes don't want to talk about their mental health issues because they don't want it held against them. They don't want retribution. They don't want it to affect their playing time. They don't want it to affect how teammates treat them. So you have this just very complicated, complex environment when it comes to addressing the mental health concerns. And they really need to be attacked from a lot of different angles. I think a lot of people think about the solution as being putting a sports psychologist on every campus. And to me, that doesn't that doesn't fix the problem because, you know, the other issue is that a lot of sports psychologists often report right back to coaches or coaches pressure even on-campus mental health advisors to get private medical information that is protected by HIPAA. So 
those are kind of all of the issues that you've got going on at the same time. And so it becomes a, a big issue addressing it. I think even just having these conversations help to help people be aware that there is problems in college sports beyond just the transfer portal and NIL money, right? And problems with that are, I don't know, maybe even more important than like how much athletes are making and, you know, whether they're transferring or not. So, you know, obviously there's no, there's no solution that we're going to find in one day, but with all of these problems, I think putting a larger spotlight on it is going to tend to put more focus on it. Right. And now, and maybe right, Maddie, and maybe conversation you and I have at another point in time, but these federal bills coming out, you know, maybe if we get very lucky, right, that the federal government, if the NCAA is not going to make a, a stand and they're not going to help act uh, on mental health, right, maybe that's the space for the federal government to come in and assist. I know there's a bill pending right now in California. We'll see what happens with it, but it's focused on, you know, racial and gender issues in sports. And I think a lot of politicians over there have made the decision, hey, not enough is being done for our athletes in the state of California by the NCAA, by the respective schools. So we're going to step in as the lawmakers here. So you know, again, I'm not. Uh, I think there, <laughs> there are a lot of issues with that particular bill. Um, yeah, I mean, just, being one of them, but I think the the point being, like, there is no longer a world where sports and politics are separate. I think pol- politicians have seen, hey, if I have the right bill at the right time, I'm going to tap into a lot of people that don't otherwise care about politics, and maybe that's a, I don't know, it's somewhat of a reflection of our show too. We don't really talk about bills, right, or, or you know, potential laws unless they're. I think sports betting or NIL laws, like, I don't know, that's that's right. where we fall. Well, I think you saw some efforts at the federal level to kind of add everything in the kitchen sink into some of these NIL bills. And I think that they were, in terms of NIL, in my mind, you, there should have been a bare bones NIL legislation if it, if it was if it was ever going to come from the federal level. And it shouldn't have tried to go into all these more complex areas. Because when you talk about the other issues that are very important that need to be addressed, whether it is at the federal level or some other way, that becomes a lot more difficult to pass. And I think that some of these politicians, you know, well-intended as they may be, really went too far in that direction. And what I don't like to see is when it starts to become super politically charged and divided along political lines, because as far as I'm concerned, taking care of people and athletes, that doesn't scream, you know, it shouldn't it, scream, left it shouldn't or right. scream it left or right in any way, because it, it, it seems pretty clear cut to me. Really There's a lot of bipor- bipartisan bills on that front though, to, to, to make the point. I think I remember when, uh, you know, Ted Cruz was getting up and making certain comments, which we don't need that's not, necessarily need to get into, but like you could lose sight pretty easily. But, you know, when it comes to right athletes, you know, having a mental, mental health support, I don't know, maybe that's something to get more attention. But I, I think the problem is with these federal bills being passed, there, there's been, you know, a number on the table since June of 2021, even, even before that. And I think people, maybe they get towards the front of the line and people are like, well, this is a bill about paying athletes. Like that's really not important. Let's slide this down the priority list. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there should be some type of a balance where there is some, some aspects of the bill that focus on mental health and and maybe that'll get our politicians attention. Cause I don't know, we haven't seen any progress on a federal bill in a a year. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's the, how of it, how do you seek to accomplish what you say you're going to? Because I think that the, especially you mentioned the, the California bill, the, the motivation behind the California bill is, is great. Why wouldn't we want to create equality and, and, and all that, but the actual way that the bill goes about it becomes problematic. And I think sometimes that's indicative of the fact that some of the politicians creating the legislation don't really fully understand college sports and how it works. 
And in some ways, I hate to be making that argument because I think that that's an argument that goes back to, I mean, the entire time of the NCAA. And certainly when I was on the chairing the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, those would be the conversations. And I think the way that the NCAA would attack people who are critical from the outside was that, oh, well, they don't understand what's going on behind the scenes. There is some truth to that, though. And when you see some of these pieces of legislation, when you're talking about sort of arbitrary ways of splitting revenue and distributing certain things or the way that you're going to try to go about regulating it. Um, I think that that starts to show that there, there may not be a full understanding of, of how it works on campus and what may be the best approach. And so I think that's where you start to lose people on some of these pieces of legislation. And then there are just so many at a certain point. I mean, I, I can't remember at this point how many federal bills there were, but I, I think it was in the neighborhood of seven, maybe more. We're getting more too. It's not yeah, right. And there and more and more every day that are going, you know, but in terms of NIL. So then you just, you have a lot of people who seem like they may just want to be getting in on this issue for political gain. And, right. and some who I think are well-intended, but it, it starts to just confuse the issue rather than really... I think working together, and, and that's what I would like to see from politicians is have, you know, take time to come up with a good bill. Don't just rush it, but have these deep conversations because they, they are complex. This is not an easy topic to try to regulate or fix. Okay. So I'm going to take a, a hard pivot in our a few <laughs> minutes we have remaining. This is the time of the year. So uh, Maddie, you and I are recording this on Tuesday, May 17th. I'm seeing it left and right on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn everyone's graduating and some are graduating with honors and some are saying I'm graduating and I'm starting this great job over here. Sometimes I see I'm graduating and I, I rarely see a post that's like, I'm graduating and I'm still figuring it out. You know, you don't just don't see it. The truth is, uh, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I've spoken with a lot of you, a lot of listeners of the show who are graduating and don't have anything lined up. And mm -hmm. I get that phone call and it's like an absolute red alert, panic, like, what can I do? So a quick story about me, Maddie, then I'm going to give it to you. So when I graduated Fordham in, in 2013, I didn't have any job. Like, I, not not just that I didn't have a job I was happy about. I didn't have any job. I had a nice baseball job lined up with an agency that fell through in the spring of my 3 year, and it was just too late to to pivot. I tried and went to job fairs and went to, you know, whatever I could, and I couldn't land anything. So I didn't have anything until... I don't know, October post bar. So just know that like, you know, there for every one of your friends that has, you know, is leaving school and they have everything figured out, you know, the, the job sphere is a certainly a marathon. It's not a sprint. What you're doing your first five years, I don't know, you're probably not going to be doing that in your 10th year, 11th year. So everyone's got their own path. But Maddie, as I was kind of, you know, looking you up in anticipation of this episode, I looked at your background. I don't put all of my stuff on LinkedIn, but I, I had a lot of jobs like you, like working here, you know, working for this podcast, working for this startup here, just wasn't really making any money, but I just thought it was good, you know, to contribute and develop a lot of skills. So Maddie, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what is your path post law school? And, you know, what advice do you have for people that uh, similar like you and I did not yeah. have income graduation? I think one of the issues in law school, and this may be true elsewhere, is if, if you want to take a more unconventional path, and to me, I wasn't looking to work in a firm after graduation, I think it can be really difficult. And I don't think that schools always know how to even advise you on that. And I would describe even during law school, it was a lot of figuring out what I didn't want to do as much as it was figuring out what I did. And so I had done a number of internships, you know, I'd worked at 
the FCC. I'd done an internship at CBS Sports. I'd clerked for a judge and they all taught me something really valuable that I think I apply in, in various aspects of what I, you know, in of life. But ultimately, I think it, it can be difficult if you're wanting to go in-house or you're wanting to work in sports. I think there was also the aspect of it that, you know, I look now, I think there are so many more opportunities if you want to work in college sports to do that. But to me, after having done so much advocating for athletes within the NCAA, I didn't want to work for the NCAA. I didn't want to work for school and I didn't want to work for a conference. And at the time, that was basically the way that you did some of that. So, you know, I'd done a lot of contract work at one point. Um, I was doing some work for an economic development firm, learned some of that. I did stuff for a data center that was really interesting and because I was interested in, in technology and intellectual property law and media and, you know, kind of started creating my own content, even because what I realized at the time is that nobody at that time, as I graduated in 2017, was really putting out much information about NCA rules. And I would see so much confusion and so many people and a lot of, I think, the NCAA's talking points coming out, but less so from people who had really been behind the scenes and, and been doing the advocacy work that I had been doing during school. And so I did a little bit of that. And through that, I think I met a lot of interesting people. At the same time, I started working at a litigation firm, discovered that I didn't really particularly love litigation. <laughs> Aspects of it were interesting, but you know, ultimately that I really enjoyed doing more of the consulting work and, and talking to people about athletics and, and sports and mental health and safety of athletes. And that that was the work that I really wanted to focus on. So I guess it, I think that people who think that they have it all figured out really don't, or people who tell you that don't, because I think you figure out along the way, every step of the way, what you do and do not want to do. And I think the more people that you talk to is it's so valuable. You can learn so much from every single person. I mean, I learned from law students who are coming out of, of law school, what they're engaged in and what they're interested in. So I think be okay and don't, I think it's really difficult, but don't compare yourself to everybody else. I think at every point of law school, it can be difficult when you have the first round of interviews for, for all the big firms and your classmates are posting about everything that they did. And you have to stay true to what you really want to do. And that's not to say do it irresponsibly, but, you know, if you're passionate about something, try and get involved. I think that you, I mean, you have law students who are involved in your show and writing, and I think that's a great way to demonstrate your knowledge of a topic. You know, all those things are really valuable and they set you apart. And so even if right now you have no idea, you know, keep, you just need one yes, you know, you don't need 25. So keep talking to people. Sometimes I think people will keep you in mind, even if they don't have a job to offer right now, they might later. So, you know, I, I would say just don't, don't compare yourself to everybody else is, is the biggest piece of advice. Because I think what I started to realize is that a lot of people who had the so-called jobs that were really appealing, didn't really love what they were doing. So it can cut both ways. Well, Maddie, great advice. And uh, listen, you have my vote for NCA president if you elect to vote. <laughs> Not a position that I that I'm particularly wanting to to take on. Hey, but. <laughs> we we got we got a year before people are going to start throwing their their names in that. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for joining us in the show. Let everybody know where they can find you and uh, find your work. Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. My Twitter is at MadSal15, and then Instagram is Maddie Salamon. So find me there. <laughs> Um, Maddie, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. So again, that was Maddie Solomon. I think she did a, an excellent job. And listen, I know she said she's not running for 
NCA president. But as I was kind of telling you guys at the top, and welcome back, by the way, Landis, you're now back with us in podcast world. I think the NCA needs new voices. I think they need younger voices. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, I know Maddie's say she's not going to throw her name in the ring, but we need people thinking about college sports very differently. And hopefully the NCA is just going to figure it out, whether they you know pick one of our, the friends of our show, which, of which now there are many, um, or they pick someone that we don't know. Hopefully they don't pick an enemy of our show. We, you know, there, there's some people we've gone after in college sports, but for good reasons, always good reasons. Yeah. I don't know, Maddie, I thought, I thought did a great job. And, and I want to just hit on, on the point that Maddie talked about right at the end. And I wish, you know, we could keep Maddie. I'm sure we'll bring Maddie on again. You know, I didn't have a job for six months. Maddie, you know, is still, and Maddie didn't talk about it on the show, but she said she's still figuring out, you know, what she wants to do in her career. And she's has, has been out like less than 10 years. So still figure stuff out. My career took a turn seven years in. I went from practicing pure litigation at an insurance defense firm to moving to more. Honestly, I work more on the plaintiff side than I do on the defense side. I work, you know, we have sports and entertainment cases. We have cases, uh, you know, I have one active case right now uh, against a very, uh, very big league um, and I have to fly somewhere. So yeah, I don't know. So, you know, life goes in different paths. Um, you know, Landis, you're, are you still at the same firm you're with when you, when you graduated school? Yes, I'm at Saffron Law Offices here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Did you grow up in North Carolina? I did. I grew up in the heart of the triangle, Pittsburgh, North Carolina. It's a small town, not to be confused with Pittsburgh, which people always say. Okay, um, where'd you go to where'd you go to undergrad? I went to UNC Charlotte. I'm a Charlotte 49er. Okay, I'm law school. I went to Campbell Law School here in Raleigh okay. and then stayed in Raleigh after that. Okay, so now I have a question for you because uh, you didn't hear this portion, but I'm going to tell you, Maddie went to Duke undergrad and UNC mm-hmm. law school. Is that like, is that blasphemous? Like, is that, can you just not do that? That's hard to believe. No, it happened. I'm looking at her LinkedIn right now. That's it's true. I know <laughs> that is hard to believe, but I mean, it happens, right? You know, no, it doesn't. Things. Duke's a private school. Carolina's a public school. You got different costs. There's different things that go into that. So um, UNC law is a fantastic school. Duke obviously is a fantastic school as well. So it's wild that she did that, but hey, different different strokes for different folks. So Okay, so let us transition over to our, our next guest. We have Steve Simmons, co-founder and COO of NIL Partners. So, you know, Steve, I, I think, again, you know, we talk a lot about college football and college basketball. People follow my tweets. I was uh, pretty involved in, in watching some college volleyball, but that's because my Nebraska Cornhuskers were involved. But I, I think we need to pay attention to some of the, we'll say, the, I don't know, obviously non-revenue generating sports, but sports that are further down and for saving college sports, which I imagine there's going to be an episode that we're going to talk about this, you know, down the line at some point, the employer employee distinction, right? When will college athletes be declared employees of a particular school? And I've said this up and down, left and right. I don't know, at some point, five years from now, we're going to look back at this audio and I'm going to say, look right here, this is when I talked about it, the biggest threat to college sports. And I, and I mean this in a, in a good way, right? The, the, pure, the normal standard of college sports is this employee-employer distinction. Because once we start paying college athletes the actual revenue that college sports have, which is a good thing, right? If you are making the money, right, maybe you should get that. The actual dynamic and the you know, economy of college sports will be completely turned on its head. So Steve is going to join us. He was a Division One rower at Colgate. I'm not sure that all those sports necessarily exist if we're paying football players, right, all of the revenue. We're playing basketball players, the revenue from March Madness, those particular sports, right? Those athletes will get 50% of the pie, whatever. Quote. I'm not sure those sports exist, right? So if we want to really solve college sports and, and try to get ahead of issues, Maddie talked about it on the show, like, you know, she would go back in a time machine and help solve some of these issues. This is us telling everybody, 
pay attention to these issues right now. We have to reinvent the way that we think of college sports economics if this is going to exist. So people can yell and kick and scream that the boosters are really bad for college sports. I don't know. I can think of a scenario where the boosters and collectives might be good for college sports. They might save those lesser money sports. So Landis, what do you think, uh, you know, on our next big issue on, on uh, before we go to Steve, this employee-employer distinction, are you, are you as worried about it as I am? Not as worried about it as I'm just tracking it and watching what happens. You know, you got Johnson v. NCAA sitting out there, which is testing the joint employer test for universities in the NCAA. So Those are our, friends over, some... our friends over at Villanova, we should mention, we have many friends in Villanova. Exactly. And I read an article yesterday where that's starting to gain momentum and traction again. So you could see something coming there. And then you could see that bill coming out of California, which requires teams to split 50% of their revenues with their individual athletes in that sport. And so while I'm not as worried about it, I would like to see the ramifications about what's going to go on, how that's going to play out. I am tracking it as well as every sports attorney or just fans in general should be tracking. I'm not one to think of the boosters and collectives as a big issue because I am of the firm belief that it's what's been happening. Now we're just doing it out in the public. So it's, and I believe that it's going to keep happening no matter what rules you create. They'll just figure out ways around those rules and carve outs and different things. So I'm not as worried about boosters and collectives. See, Matt, Matty had an interesting comment. And again, we have, it's good to have healthy disagreements on the show. I actually don't mind, right? And again, people can call me absolutely insane. I don't mind the politicians trying to get into the space because I think what it does is apply more pressure on the NCA. I am never like, I don't know. I am not uh, Mr. Political. I'm not Mr. Left or Mr. Right. I'm sports or my politics. That's what I follow. It's, I, I lean into the news and, you know, it is what it is. But you have politicians right now that are, forcing the issue, right? If that law passes in California, obviously there are many issues with that law and we'll talk about it to the extent it passes and the effect it, it has on the sports landscape. But it's applying pressure to the NCA in a way that we've never seen before. As Fair Pay to Play did in California back in 2019, like that forced the issue. California passed something and then all the other states followed suit. If all the other states want to follow suit and like pass bills that pay their athletes a percentage of revenue that the sport makes, like the NCA has got to act, right? Or alternatively, the federal government has to act. So I, again, right now, I'm not really, and I'm not really content with the way college sports has been and how it's been run internally. So again, I'll, I'll say the quote again, I've said it before, but Marsha Blackburn, you know, um, you know, in Tennessee got up and said to Mark Emmert this time last year, like we have to do uh, as, you know, the individual states, what you, the NCA have proven incapable of doing. So again, people have hated the NCA for years. Like people hate, you know, Dan Snyder and the Washington commanders and we could joke and all this stuff. Like, Everybody universally hates the NCA. So like, okay, now let's stand up and politicians are now gathering to force the issue. So I don't know, let's, let's talk a little bit about that California bill. I know you have an article that you're, you're working on right now for the site. What happens if that bill is passed, right? I mean, I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm enthusiastic, but I'm also worried that like, you know, what, what will change in college sports? I just don't know what the other side will look like. I'm excited for it, but I'm also like I'm cautious. I don't know. Sure. I mean, isn't that the big question, right? You got Senator Stephen Bradford here who led the Fair Play to Play Act, Fair Pay to Play Act, or the previous bill that established name, image, and likeness under California. And then that transcended the whole landscape throughout the United States, the collegiate landscape. And now he's back. He's here. And he's got a holding in Austin that he's going to use to see how far he can go 
to see if the NCAA is willing to push back on its antitrust or push back on the law in California. And really, it, the big question is what's happened? Is the NCAA going to act? Are they going to do something and possibly subject themselves to antitrust scrutiny? Or are they going to let it go and risk the rest of the states coming up with some sort of pay to play deal? Or not just the rest of the states, it could be private actors coming up for pay for play. And then, you know, having the NCAA enforcing it against them. And maybe the NCAA is like, we'll allow the states to do it, but not private actors. Well, how are you going to do that? You know, so the big question is what happens. And it's all unclear right now. So I think that's a good a good spot to leave it. You know, Steve Simmons is going to join us with NIL Partners in addition to, you know, just a guy who's pretty knowledgeable in the NIL space where I've been seeing a lot of his stuff. You know, I, I think this issue that we're talking about on the employment level and how different bills will impact people, you have to kind of rely on lawyers as much as everybody hates lawyers. Hopefully, if you're listening to the show, you don't hate lawyers. Or hopefully, we've convinced you to not like lawyers, but you need them because if you're an athlete in California, all of a sudden, like, you need to know how this is going to affect you. You needed to know how fair pay to play was going to impact California and how other states would react. I've been advising a couple people on the college sports front. I told them for the last month, listen, like you want to listen. I don't know what's exactly going to happen, but I know the NCAA is going to start cracking down. And I put in air quotes here, boosters. And I, why do I know that? Because I sit on every NIL panel and I know the issues that everyone wants to talk about. So if there's a law school panel dedicated to something, let alone like Ten of them, mind you, that's probably the next thing that's going to get past you. So I don't know, just a good uh, cheat code for people looking about topics and looking, uh, trying to chase employment. Okay. Steve Simmons kind of uh, talked about him a bunch. Co-founder, COO of NIL Partners. He's our next guest. Landis, you and I had a good conversation with him. So let us kick it over to Steve Simmons. Steve, welcome to Connect Detrimental. How are you? Hey, Dan. Great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So in our ongoing attempts to kind of educate people in the world of college sports, why not have on someone that has co-founded a company, NIL Partners, whose literal job it is to help educate college athletes. So, Steve, we wanted to give you the platform today to kind of explain, you know, the work that a company like yours is doing in the space. And maybe we'll try to diagnose and uh, solve some of college sports' biggest issues. But first, I know, busy world in college sports right now, right? We have the commissioners of the country heading over to kind of petition Congress. We have the NCA coming out with guidance. I'm putting that in loose quotes. You know, I asked the same question to Maddie, our, our guest uh, earlier. What do you think is the biggest problem plaguing college sports right now if we're talking about legislative issues, transfer portal, NIL issues? Pick your poison here, Steve. Well, you know, it, it's, it's funny because if I hear one more person say, you know, that NIL is the Wild West, you know, I, I might lose my mind. It's I've said it a couple of times, so I won't say uh, it. Believe me, I have too. I, I started off with that every single time somebody said it until it finally got to a point saying that doesn't do it justice, right? There's so many different areas we could look at. I think one of the most important areas that's not being talked about enough is what's going on in the transfer portals right now. It's really tough now that you have kids, like you can have a phenomenal linebacker at University of Delaware who's just not getting the attention he could be getting and saying, why wouldn't I try to move to an Alabama or Georgia or some other school where I can kind of have my own star rise and possibly capitalize on it? And, you know, we're seeing repeatedly the power of the collectives being able to come in and, you know, not necessarily influence players to make a move, but the options there. And I, I think it's, you know, now that Pandora's box has been opened, it's very hard to stuff that genie back in the bottle. I want to make sure we cover every cliche possible. 
But when I all this, have put the toothpaste back in the tube. You missed that one on our. Bingo. Oh, I do like that one. Yes, you know, th- there's these opportunities. We're starting to see, you know, a lot of movement throughout the transfer portal. We're we're seeing a lot of kids, you know, hopefully generating more parity because I think that's what it's going to come down to, and that's what all of college sports needs. It can't just be, you know, your power five schools sort of dictating everything. You know, we should mention this, Steve, in addition to, to co-founding the company and acting as CEO of, of NAL Partners, once upon a time, we were division one rower at one of my rivals. Well, I guess we'll call it a rival school, Colgate University. I have a couple of family members that went there. I see you're familiar with uh, our New York neck of the woods. Are you from New York? I lived for 15 years in the city after school. I was a Jersey boy, you know, by birth. So Whoa. I was one of the quota that was allowed up to Colgate. Do, do you know why I just reacted like that? I'm looking at your, your timeline, Steve, and there's a lot of Let's Go Rangers posts. Yes. Uh, that's kind of blasphemous from someone that grew up in Jersey. That's pretty bad. Uh, I mean, given that I might have to I mean, arrest you know, ice right skating now. in the same rink and played, you know, ice hockey at, at, you know, the arena down in West Orange where the Devils played, it's definitely blasphemy. But Bla- uh, Absolute blasphemous. So listen, <laughs> um, you're laughing, but the uh, authorities are actually coming for you right now and they're going to put you in jail. Um, it okay, would not sorry. be the first time. I get this. <laughs> um, I, well, we'll, we'll, we'll plead the fifth here. So I, I guess, you know, we're, we were at college sports and, and we told the same thing, or I was talking to Maddie about the same issue, right? College sports is at this conundrum because there are, I don't know, you know, you could call it Pandora's box, whatever, maybe another analogy. We could throw it as like a black hole. Like there are so many problems. I, you just don't know which, which way to tackle this, you know, from the transfer portal to the NIL, whatever you want to say. The other aspect of this that, that I know, you know, is, is near and dear to you is certainly this mental health issue that I think is being underserved in the, in the college sports landscape. Again, you know, not, not to get into the, the details, but we've seen a, a troubling amount of athletes within really the last couple of weeks uh, lose their lives with various mental health issues. So I know, Steve, you're, you're part of your platform is educating athletes on anything and, and everything that could be relevant to their tenure as a, as a college athlete. So, um, Steve, what, what work needs to be done in the mental health space? Well, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting. And I know we, we joke about, you know, you know, the, the glory days of being, you know, athletes in, in upstate New York, because there's nothing probably more miserable than rowing in uh, upstate New York at late October, early November, when you're breaking ice to get in the water. But, you know, competing at that level is not, you know, even if it's a D1 sport and the, the, the you know, the biggest thing we experience say is rowing at the head of the Charles, you know, and you have that bit of a rush and that's phenomenal. But if you're an athlete and you're competing, you know, on national TV or you're competing in the Olympics and you're, you know, a student athlete, first and foremost, and you're trying to maintain your grades in a, in a rigorous curriculum. And now you have the added, you know, call it a bonus, if you will, with quotation marks of being able to monetize and capitalize on your brand. So now you're trying to maintain social media and appearances. It is a tremendously heavy load, you know, by estimates from a recent study, you know, roughly 30% of all student athletes suffer from some form of depression or, or mental struggles. You know, we've seen in the past two weeks, almost a dozen student athletes killed themselves and took their own lives for one reason or another. Can we take a stop here? Like, you know how crazy it is, like that, that statistic? Like, it's amazing. It, it, it breaks my heart and it's just not getting, an, the fact that it's commonplace and not getting enough attention and outrage is really it breaks my heart because well, I'm, I'm going to just, cause I want, I want, I want people to understand, like, right. We are talking about a big issue, the, the sports law space in general, there's never been more attention, at least since I've been following space, which has been for, for the last decade 
I've never seen more attention by more people paid to a college, uh, more lawyers pay attention to an issue other than this NIL issue. I just, I've never seen it. I mean, I've spent a lot of time on the show talking about it. We had a higher rate than I remember quarterbacks who were, you know, uh, universally renowned as top quarterbacks in the country kind of fall flat on their face in the first year of NIL. I don't think it's a coincidence, right? You talk right. about Rattler, you could talk about Sam Howell, you could talk about DJ over Clemson, a, a lot of guys. And I, I'm not one that believes in coincidences. I, I have to think the pressure of the ability to make money. Um, now your follower counts actually mattering certainly puts more pressure on our student athletes. Look no further than the transfer portal, right? You have a record number of athletes in there right now. So there's a lot of pressure that our athletes are facing Absolutely. that they have never seen before. And it's now manifesting itself, maybe in them not performing up to certain standards that they did. And, you know, Steve, that statistic you mentioned is, is an unheard of statistic. And I, I just don't think it's a coincidence that it's happening in this time. So we can joke a lot on this podcast and, and certainly I do my fair share, but I, I think this issue is a lot more serious than people are giving credit. I, I think so too. And when we see the number that just came out, I think this morning on what the NCAA has spent on league, legal expenses, $300 million over the last couple of years, right? $300 million on a, on a large part, I believe was on outside counsel. And, you know, I'll, I'll check that number to make sure, but I believe that's $300 million over the last several years. Think of what good some of that, uh, just a portion of that could have gone towards mental health awareness, right? Just having kids just being monitored and checked, right? And, you know, you throw this added pressure in of social media, which can be just an absolute vortex of the most vile behaviors because there's the anonymity level, right? I can call out every player, you know, for just having an awful game or this and that. And at some point, some of it's really vicious and gets to these kids. And then when, you know, you throw in, you're trying to build a brand and manage that somehow, and, you know, then you also add into the mix, you have, you know, the circle advisors that may or may not have these kids' best interests in mind, right? So you've got all these things pulling on these kids like, like, a, like marionettes, and something's got to give. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but it's just not being focused on enough at, at all levels. So, Steve, you talk about you have people pulling the strings that may not have best interests and the wear and tear on people's mental health. So how do you advise student athletes to seek out that mental health or seek out those mental advisors to get them help? Well, you know, first and foremost, the, the biggest issue is destigmatizing the idea of, of mental health you know, issues and awareness. Right. It, mental health well-being should be up there with strength training and skills training. It should be a core component of it, right? Because we always talk about, you know, whether an athlete is mentally tough enough, right? You know, can they handle the pressure? But no one's really talking about, well, they did compete. How are they doing now, right? You know, they didn't necessarily, uh, you know, when we saw what happened with like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka is two very glaring high level issues. And the number of people that came out of the woodwork to sort of chastise them and say, hey, this is your job. You should be able to handle this. They're still kids when all is said and done, you know, they're, they're not fully matured yet. They're not used to this. And, you know, whether it's, you know, all schools having a, you know, a, a, you know, a therapist on tap to just sort of have, you know, ability to check in, but there's so many opportunities now with online platforms where, where kids can just go and literally just reach out and check in, right. And check in with somebody outside of them to help them check in with themselves. 
Yeah, Steve, I want to check on that. So you talked about a, a mental health therapist on staff or an outside resource. Do you advocate for one or the other, or are there sort of some uh, listen, I'm, I'm all in favor of, of having as many resources as possible, right? Schools don't have just one athletic trainer or a nutritionist. They have, you know, it's a whole holistic approach. Have something else that, that can kind of factor into it as well. I mean, you know, we're already seeing schools retaining, you know, legal counsel to help these students navigate NIL deals, which I think is fantastic because one of the most common mistakes we've seen is, you know, the kid that signs a a regional t-shirt deal or sweatshirt deal with somebody, and then all of a sudden their star really catches fire. And then, you know, Under Armour approaches them, says they want to do something. And they didn't realize they signed a contract that says in perpetuity, right? So having legal counsel or somebody to help navigate it is one component. Why not have somebody who can help navigate mental health issues? You know, and, and again, let's not stigmatize it. Let's not say, oh, this person's weak or, or they just can't hack it. Like we have to change that whole vernacular around it. So I was listening to uh, ESPN Daily did a segment on Gabe Kapler, the manager with the Giants. And uh, yeah. they were saying he has more coaches in the dugout than anyone else. And I'm like, it's a great idea, right? Like maybe have a mental health coach, right? Like th- there are certain things that, just because it's been done a certain way doesn't mean it has to be done that way moving forward. And I think that's why Kapler's get a lot of good attention in baseball and, and, you know, why people I think, you know, are looking for different, different responses at the collegiate level, because we have a different world. All of a sudden you have a guy like Lane Kiffin saying that we're in the middle of the free agent era. I'm like, that's never happened. So maybe we should be looking towards different voices. So Steve, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I know you, um, this topic, I think, I think you said it briefly. Uh, there's a comment that we didn't discuss, but you know, a couple of days ago, Nick Saban, one of his comments made the rounds. Uh, I'm going to quote it verbatim. Quote, <laughs> one of the things I like to see us be able to work back to is everything in college football has always had parity. So Nick Saban, uh, you know, is talking to Paul Feinbaum and says he wants parity. And I'm like, wait, who said they want parity? Nick Saban <laughs> said he wants parity, the guy that has the dynasty in college football. Listen, we're here to diagnose a lot of different problems. I tend to think that some parity is good. I don't mind it when the when the there is like a, a dynasty up top. I think that makes sports good. But you know, we talk about college football, college basketball. Steve, you're a division one rower, right? I, I imagine there's like dynasties that no one talks about that are at different levels of college sports that might be impacted by this NIL or what's happening with these collectives. So the floor is yours, Steve. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, I think it's great at, at, listen, as a lifelong Jets fan, I have no idea what parody is there. I, I don't know what a dynasty is there. I'm waiting for the next round. So every like 30 years, they become a dynasty for, you know, a year. No, not yeah. every 30 years. I mean, I know, I know. Because they've never it's been awful. a dynasty, but go on. You know, I, I look at, you know, obviously rowing's near and dear to my heart. And, and I just laugh thinking about as, as good as we thought we were, I distinctly recall a race where it was by far our best race of the year. And then Navy came out of nowhere and passed us. And not only as they passed us, they were singing. And like, there was probably nothing more disheartening when you're on the verge of vomiting <laughs> and these guys come by and they're whistling like, like a pirate ship. And, you know, like it's very uh, similar to uh, Luca laughing in the face of uh, Chris Paul. when the, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Very similar. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and you see it, every sport has their rivals, you know, you have the, the, the Ivies in, in rowing typically, and, and, you know, the, you know, Texas, the schools out West, but what I'd like to see more is we're starting to see it a little bit in the HBCUs where, you know, again, with the transfer portal, they're starting to pick up some good players and NIL has that opportunity to sort of level the playing field 
where, you know, whether it's through the, uh, the, the rise of collectives, being able to support more players coming to school in some capacity, obviously following, you know, the rules of what they can and can't do without inducing the players, but by creating an environment where these kids want to go there. Again, using the, the role of the Ivies, you know, you talk about an alumni core and an endowment that is by far larger than the GDP of many countries. You know, these folks have the money if they wanted to make it their interest to kind of build things out and level it out. You know, we'll see where that goes. I'd like to see the parity even just among all the different sports. You know, I love, you know, I love seeing that women's volleyball is the third most active sport in NIL deals. You know, there should be more of that. So, Steve, um, you know, I know we're running short on time. You know, again, I think we are a better show and a better platform if we just help put issues out there, people can think about them collectively. Steve, is there one issue that, that is going on in college sports that you're seeing from, from your business side? Uh, I know we talked a little bit about mental health, but is there another issue that's not being talked about enough that maybe you need to have more of our, our smartest minds in our country focusing on in college sports? Well, I, I really think a, a lot of these kids just need better guidance, right? They, they really need somebody you know, to help hold their hands to some degree to help them make the right decisions, you know, especially when it comes to these deals. Obviously, everyone's kind of jumping for the brass ring. And I can't say that I blame them by any means. But let's, you know, let's really make sure that they're being steered and prepared properly and that they understand that, you know, no one talks about the fact that, you know, these kids have to pay taxes on a lot of these deals, you know, and it's, you know, that's the kind of thing that could trip them up or surprise them. You know, to me, our big thing we, we, we say internally is NIL is 40 years. It's not four. So you can be, you know, a great athlete building a platform and never step foot on a, on a pro field. But how you carry yourself through social media, how you build your brand and everything else is something that, that corporations are looking at. And whether it's to sponsor you or whether it's to hire you when, when the time has come, you know, these, these kids need to be really guided so that they're doing the right things and, and taking the right steps to really build themselves for the future and, and ideally keep their mind in check the whole way. Steve, a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, tell everybody where they can find NIL partners. Sure, Dan, this, this has been great. Uh, love the opportunity to talk about this. I'm, I'm happy to engage all day long on Twitter at NIL, at NIL Partners. Our website is uh, nil-partners.com. Our, our doors are always open, always happy to chat and, and try to work and help elevate the playing field. Thank you, Steve. Dan, thank you again. Landis, much appreciated. Thanks, Dan. So that was Steve Simmons of NIL Partners. Landis, what'd you think? Dan, I wish I asked this one question. I thought about it late, but it's this. How does the idea of parity align with these colleges and universities breaking off into a super conference? Do you have any thoughts about that, Dan? Well, I guess it's another topic, right? Another big one. I, I was on uh, ESPNU this past week, and they asked me a similar question, like, talking all about NIL and transfers, like, what about the super competition? What if, like, the SEC just leaves? And I'm like, they're like, what's stopping the SEC? And, I, and I'm like, I paused, dramatic pause. I'm like, absolutely nothing. There is nothing holding them. And that's how our country is formed on free markets. Obviously, there'd be some issues with television contracts and, and whatnot. But, like, the truth is, you know, uh, they're all temporary. The SEC could leave. The Big Ten could leave. The, the, our whole country was founded on the concept of competition. So could there be a separate, you know, we're calling them super conferences. That, that term seems to that, that these conferences would exist within the current NCAA structure. When I talk about super conference, I'm talking about a conference being so strong that the thing just gets up and walks out and competes with the NCAA. So um, 
I think what, what Saban is saying in his own way, which again, like, I don't, I think it's bizarre that Saban is making these comments of all people. Like we need more parity. Like, okay, last I checked, your job security is dependent on there not being parity. Your job security is dependent on you making the college football playoff every year and being in contention. I, you know, I obviously I'm sure you're, you're like me, I'm an NFL draft junkie. So I watch the draft very closely. We have the NBA draft lottery tonight. So by the time some of you are listening to this, we'll have a you know, we'll have the NBA pick sorted out. But for NFL purposes, like, it's a kind of a joke about how many SEC players are taken. And uh, there was some crazy stat, like, no, I think Big 12 had a really poor showing. I think, like, I'm trying to remember, but Big 12 had a horrendous showing in the draft overall. And it's like, okay, so objectively, right, the SEC is head over heels above the Big 12. So, like, do they need to be in the same conference with them anymore? Do they need to be splitting revenue and, like, crowdsourcing rules for all these different conferences? Like, why can't the SEC just do their own thing? So I think you you raise a really good point. Parity, I think, would probably help college sports, right? Am I crazy? I agree. I think it would help college sports. I just think Saban shouldn't be saying it. That doesn't make sense. I don't know. And I, and for from Saban's purposes, you know, and maybe maybe somebody will ask him about this in the next conference. Like, I don't know. Like, if Saban were – if the SEC were to get up and leave, like, I don't it doesn't impact Saban's wallet. I'm sure the SEC could make more money as a separate entity. There just has to be, like – I think what we've seen, people care about the jerseys. Like, as long as there is some championship that people are competing for and the football is at a really high level, like, I don't really think it's going to matter. If there was, like, a, I'm going to put in quotes, like, the SEC uh, League, like, the Southeast League, SEL, we'll call it that, championship. And it was, like, you know, I don't know, we'll say, like, hopefully this is not blasphemous, but we'll say, like, you know, Texas versus, you know, entering the SEC, Texas versus Alabama, like, that, and they had a, their own television show. Like, I don't know. I think it would do really well. Like, so maybe Saban would make more money. So the fact that this past week, Nick Saban is saying we need parity, which I think is his code of saying we have to help save college sports. And then Greg Sankey, the commissioner over at the, con- the SEC conference is going to Congress and saying we need a federal bill. Like, at least to me, like red, red alarms going off. Like the two most powerful men in college football, like commissioner of the SEC and Nick Saban, like they're both saying we need to do something fundamentally different. Like I'm, I'm concerned. Like, I don't know. Am I crazy? Like, I, I think I'm, I'm concerned. I am. No, I don't think you're crazy at all. And I think it's rightfully concerned. I think what you're seeing is people doing this right now, because, you know, back in January, we have a new NCAA constitution and now we got a transformation committee. So it's ripe to raise these concerns and it's ripe to try to offer new opinions on what, the NCAA landscape can look like, whether that's a super conference or something like that. And so I, I, I think there's reason to be concerned and it's up to the committees and everybody to decide what the future will look like um, as far as a super conference or not. Totally agreed. And I think I'm happy. Uh, obviously, episode went a little long, but we're, uh, you know, all we're doing is trying to save college sports. So, you know, I think it sometimes, sometimes takes a, a little longer. Okay. So, um, you know, this past weekend, we had a number of game sevens. Certainly we had a lot of fun watching uh, Rangers Canes. Quick reminder, our podcast is sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I was talking to our friends over at Underdog and, um, you know, maybe just an interesting story. Again, uh, we're talking about jobs in the space and we try to give as much news and uh, kind of legislative updates try to tell you guys where the jobs are going. So Underdog Fantasy is where you can play daily fantasy sports. Um, the creator of the of Underdog, one of the founders, a guy by the name of Jeremy Levine, had created a company once upon a time called Star Street. He uh, you know, built that up and ended up selling for uh, several million dollars. And then he uh, started again and created a company called Draft, uh, another company that did very, very well and sold for, again, a couple million dollars. And all of a sudden, Jeremy's like, you know, I think I can do more 
for the space of daily fantasy and sports betting. So we created a company called Underdog Fantasy. So maybe you're listening to us talk about Underdog. And you're like, I don't even know what Underdog is. They just Dan keeps talking about Underdog. They have some very big, we'll say, uh, seed money in the space. Adam Schefter is a spokesman. Mark Cuban is a is an investor. It's a very well funded company. And I think they're the fastest growing, you know, fantasy company maybe ever. I know I saw that in a couple of places. They have been obtaining and acquiring sports betting type companies. And it looks like they're now moving into the sports betting sphere. So obviously Wallach is the sports betting guru. He'll be in our next episode to talk a little bit of our uh, NFL issues, be it Josh Lambeau or Jerry Judy. We're going to talk about that next episode. But, you know, again, sports betting, I think you could have done really, really well for yourself if you got into the space 2015, 2016, 2017. Ask Dan Wallach, he'll tell you that exactly. But I, I still think there is more upward movement, you know, on a sports betting sphere. And Underdog is a good example. So if you want to uh, get uh, a part of the fastest growing fantasy sports site, Underdog Fantasy, use our promo code CONDUCT. Okay, Landis, time for some real business. You ready for this, buddy? Let's do it. You barely, barely survived the Boston Bruins, the lowly Boston Bruins. <laughs> so, and the Rangers miraculously, in like tremendous fashion, they they vanquish the Pittsburgh Penguins. Do you think the Hurricanes have any shot in the series? I think the Hurricanes are going to win the series, as a matter of fact. I do understand that we barely survived the Boston Bruins, but it's playoff hockey. And the last two times we faced the Bruins in the playoffs, we lost. We just needed to get over the hump of getting past the Bruins. And I think we're there. Although I am – listen – I think PNC is the loudest house in the NHL, and I think it's absolutely electric every time I go there. But I am a little bit worried about going to MSG. We didn't do well on the road uh, in the first series, so who knows what'll happen? But we're at home for the whole. We're at home not for the whole series, but uh, at least for Game Seven if it gets there. So that should play to our advantage. Hopefully. What about you? What do you think about? Tell me about. I don't, I'll be honest. I don't know a ton about the Rangers. So tell me what you expect out of this series. Destiny. Destiny. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I'll, spare, I'll spare our non-hockey viewers. Listen, I, I feel the Rangers are a team of destiny. They did something that no team has ever done in the history of maybe, – maybe it's happened in basketball, but it's a little bit different. The Rangers were down three goals in game five, I think uh, at least two goals in game six. And then they went down again in game seven. It's never happened before that a team on the brink of elimination has come back and won all three games. And that third game was like the decisive game. So a team of destiny, I think, is, is fair. So I like the Rangers. Um, so we'll see. I don't, I don't want to spend so much time talking about picks in basketball, which uh, certainly I, I spent a lot of time with. You know, we were at the Eastern Conference and, and Western Conference Finals, respectively. Shout out to Luca, who had one of the uh, best playoff performances of all time with Dallas Mavericks. I don't think they are going to advance. I do like the Warriors. And call me crazy. Call me crazy. Somebody can yell at me on this podcast. I do like the Miami Heat over the Celtics, and I am going to bet them. Uh, I think Heat culture is a real thing. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But uh, at those odds, uh, Miami is too much of a dog in that series. It doesn't really make sense to me. So, you know, people are looking for some bets. I am parlaying. I am parlaying the Warriors with the Heat, and that will be your NBA Finals, according to me. Landis, you did an excellent job on your debut episode. Anything to add before we put this episode in the books? No, thanks for having me on. It's been a blast, and I look forward to doing it again sometime soon. 
Okay, by the time people see this episode, you will have seen our second collaboration with Quimby will be out. We did a special St. Louis Rams lawsuit edition of Quimby. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, of all things, actually, our next installment with Quimby is going to be a conversation about college sports. So stay tuned uh, for that after this whole episode. For Dan Wallach, myself, Landis, the entire Conduct Detrimental family, thank you to everyone that joined us for our first live event this past weekend. Um, we will definitely do it again. And uh, yeah, thank you to our friends at Themis for, again, sponsoring sponsoring our bar night. So for all of us here at Conduct Detrimental, we'll see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Hey!